listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Ephesians 4.30, we arrive here in our study of Ephesians. And the Bible says here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. As we think about the Holy Spirit introduced here in verse 30, the Bible tells us all the way back, if you peel the onion of time all the way back before anything else is made, there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before the earth, before the Milky Way, the Bible says at the very beginning of all time, eternity past, is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all three in one. In fact, it's the Puritan John Owens that helps us with this next piece. He connects it this way. The spotlight on one of those three shifts in redemption history or biblical time. What you and I call the Old Testament, the spotlight is on God the Father. He's highlighted. doesn't mean that the other two aren't active, but God the Father has the spotlight on the platform. Then as we make our way into the New Testament, the Gospels, dominated by those red letters in many of our Bibles, the spotlight's on Jesus Christ the Son. But as soon as Christ is crucified, resurrected on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, the spotlight shifts once again. And the spotlight then, if you will, if it's an actor on a platform, becomes the Holy Spirit. Now, for those of us who are present in the room and those who are watching online, we are incredibly blessed to live in a time when we know about all three. Centuries would go by, and many of the people would not have a clue that there were three. There was a lot of confusion. You and I are incredibly blessed because we know about all three. In fact, our hope and our desire is that the Spirit of God would blow through the word spirit in Greek. Our New Testament's written in Greek is, is the word pneuma means wind or spirit, or in Hebrew, ruach, it means wind or spirit, that the Spirit of God would blow through and make changes in our lives. That's our hope and our prayer. Ephesians 4.30 says two facts about the Spirit. We can grieve the Spirit, and we, can, we are sealed by the Spirit. If we're in Christ, we're sealed by the Spirit, and then secondly, we can grieve the Spirit. Now, anybody married in the room? Okay, a few of you. Uh, uh, any, any husbands in the room, have you grieved your wife? How about the wives answer at this point? Okay, yeah. Yeah, we know something about that, right? That's why FTD is in existence today, because we grieve our spouses. And so the Bible says, like, I might grieve you or I might disappoint you. I'm not to grieve the Spirit of God. I'm not to even quench the Spirit of God. Now, we'll be at that verse next week, but what Paul does here is he operates in the background so many things that I want to introduce us to. For those of you who have smartphones, have you ever, you ever been like me, your child, you love them dearly, but they're irritating you tremendously, and so you, you feel ashamed of this, and you ask the Lord for forgiveness, but you hand them a device, and you say, go away for like 72 hours. <laughs> you hand them a device, and you hand them your smartphone, you hand them your iPad, and then when they hand it back to you, what happens? They've opened up like 
79 apps at one time, right? And you wonder, why is the battery at 1%? Why is it not charged? Because all these apps are open, so you go through and close them. In the background of Ephesians, Paul, when he writes to the church at Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, he is assuming that you know certain things. So I want to go back and I want to introduce you to those, or maybe reintroduce you to those. If you and I are at a ball game, a couple of buddies, and we're eating some hot dogs, drinking some Coke, and I meet a friend, and you don't know that friend, I would say, have you met Mario? Have you met Javier? Sam, have you met Sally? I'd introduce you. That's what I want to do over the next few moments. I want to introduce you by looking at four vital truths to the Holy Spirit. Four vital truths to the Holy Spirit. All of these arrive right out of the book of John. Beginning in verse 16 of John 14, here's our first truth. The Spirit is a Jesus substitute. He's a Jesus substitute. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Key in those words, another helper. You might even circle or highlight that word, another helper. To have another helper means you have a first helper, and this is coming along and being a second helper. I don't know about you, but when I was back at school and there was a substitute teacher, it was as good, almost as good as a snow day, right? Because the substitute teacher, and if you're a substitute teacher, may the Lord bless you, I'm about to offend you, you're generally a clueless, right? The instructions say that you're supposed to, you know, take this assignment from the kids, and we could, we could, we could negotiate and say simply, no, 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 we turned that in yesterday. You're not supposed to get that now. You know, a substitute teacher, no, 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 we already covered this material. Why are you lecturing on this? We were supposed to watch this VHS tape. You can see how old I am. Uh, we were supposed to watch this VHS tape. She, she lets us watch these movies. That's what we're supposed to do today, right? A substitute teacher. Now, when I was in high school, I went to a little, little school, about 130-something people graduated in Hancock County, Kentucky, and I took French. And I just didn't hate French. I loathed French. French got me in so much trouble. I, I was introduced to this little concept in French that they did this. The school would send failure notices. They would have the gall to tell your parents that you were failing certain things. I thought that was my prerogative to let them know if needed. And so French, and so the substitute teacher, the, the French teacher is not going to show up. And I said, glory to God and the highest, this is awesome. I'm 15, 16 years of age. They're sending a French substitute. Now, I was absolutely sure that in my Hick County, I love where I grew up, I bleed blue, but in my Hick County of Kentucky, they couldn't find another person that spoke French within 100 miles. I was absolutely sure of that. And then on my very blacktop gravel street, they found a French substitute. I think she knew French better than the teacher knew French. In fact, when she came in, she said, we're not going to speak anything in this class except for you talk about a successful strategy to keep me to shut up. <laughs> I'll tell you how successful she is. It's been like decades since I was in French class. To this day, the only thing I remember from French class is je ne sais pas. This is what that means. Uh, Scott, what's your name? Je ne sais pas. I mean, that went on for weeks. She was there for weeks. I didn't know anything. I hated this lady because all she, is she would call on you as if you were studying and paying attention to this stuff. 
So now, generally, substitutes are a great thing. They're a, a wonderful thing. But every so often, <laughs> you get a woman that comes in there and says, this is all we're going to do. I got to thinking about substitutes this week. My oldest son, his trucks broke, and we're working on a part. And COVID, I don't know if you know this, but it's delaying the parts for certain things. So he's in a college here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. What if we said to him, hey, bud, uh, we're gonna, Mom and I are going to take care of this for you. We're going to get this truck fixed. But as a substitute for the next several weeks until the park comes in, we're going to have a horse. We've got, we got a beautiful horse for you to, to ride. <laughs> now, a horse would work really well, like west of Weatherford. You know, you go 100 miles north of here, somewhere on that Red River, I bet you could really navigate train. But I doubt a horse is going to be all that successful on Highway 30, back and forth between Dallas and Fort Worth. What I want you to know in verse 16 is that when Jesus says another helper is coming, this is not an inferior substitute. It's not an inferior substitute. This substitute has all the credentials, all the competence, all the emotions, all the intellect of the original helper. Jesus says, I'm going to send you another helper, verse 16. And the Spirit of God does for us as believers the very same thing that Jesus did for those believers those disciples. The Spirit is Jesus to us. And you know, you'd love to have this, you'd love to have Jesus with you during the day, wouldn't you? For him to just create a miracle. You've got traffic there on airport freeway, and he would just say, part the waters. We're going to just move that out of the way. He would turn red lights into green. He would do amazing things. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit, verse 16, the Holy Spirit is to you today what Jesus was to the disciples. What Jesus was to those disciples who were hearing this, the Holy Spirit is to us today. You are to treat the Holy Spirit just as the disciples were to treat Jesus with worship and respect and adoration. Again, in verse 16, he says, another helper. Now, my English Standard Version has the word helper, but your version may have different words. In fact, it may have the words advocate. You may see the word counselor, helper, comforter. In fact, if we were to bring together six or seven different English translations, what we'd see is there's six or seven different words there. That's alerting us to something. When, the, when translators are not consistent, it's telling us that the richness of the Greek word, no English word can carry its freight. There's a richness there. Behind the word advocate, behind the word counselor, behind the word helper is this word Paraclete, how we'd pronounce it, paraclete. In fact, originally when you get a hold of that word in the, in the Greek, it was connected with legal, legal world, that the paraclete was a legal advocate. They don't think lawyer, there's another word for that, but think of someone like this. Imagine if you're accused of some kind of crime and a grand jury indicts you. Would it matter to you if somebody was in the gallery supporting you? while you're in court, would that be pretty good? Would it matter to you if somebody said, oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that hit and run. I will testify. I'll be in the gallery. I'll be in the dock. You can count on me. Even if the mob comes after me, I am your friend. I'm your ally. That's the kind of advocate. That's the kind of comforter that we're seeing in verse 16. In fact, 
You could say that the Spirit of God is going to operate in some senses like a social worker. He's going to empower the powerless. He's going to come and be the kind of ally, the kind of friend that you need. You can, you can take it home. In fact, go back to verse 16 with me for just a minute. And notice the very first four or five words. Don't run past these. This is Jesus speaking. He says, and I, and I will ask the Father. Now, who's asking? Jesus. I um, probably had the song in the background for most of my life, sort of the soundtrack of our lives. Creedence Clearwater Revivals, John Fogarty, writes a song, Circle of the Vietnam War. And the echo of that tune, it ain't me, it ain't me, I'm not the fortunate son. Essentially, what Fogarty is saying, he's been interviewed, said, well, I saw the Eisenhowers. I saw the presidential elite, like Julie Nixon, David Eisenhower, the children of the presidents. He said, I noticed they weren't serving in the war. It was us poor kids serving in the war. So he says, it ain't me. I'm one who's going to have to serve. I'm not the fortunate son. Well, I can tell you this. I don't know so much about the truthfulness of that. We all have our opinions, but I can tell you this with all truthfulness. The one who's asking the father in verse 16 is the father's favorite son. And I can promise you, I can promise you, hand on a stack of Bibles, that when this kind of request is asked of the father, there is no way that the father is going to turn down his favorite son. Pastor, pastor, I've got a hard life. I've got not enough money to go around. I've got hardships. When I come home, it's a hot tongue and a cold shoulder. I've got no love, no support. I'm not getting this help that you say that I'm supposed to get. I hear you. I can feel you even, but I want you to hear this. The son asked the father, and there is no way the father's going to turn down this son's request. He may come across my request and say, oh, that's just me. He doesn't know what he's asking. But there's no way that he's going to turn down Jesus Christ, the son. He is his favorite son. The issue is, some of you, you say, life is so hard. You're telling me as a believer, one who's in Christ, I've got the Spirit of God in me. How could life be so hard when I've got the Spirit of God in me? Well, the the truth is, some of us don't turn to the Spirit. We don't know how to use the Spirit in the right times. Listen, you are a fool if you're pushing the bus when Clark Kent is inside. That's just a foolish thing. It's a foolish thing to use a chainsaw and don't turn it on first and still attempt to cut a tree. And that's what many believers are trying to do. They're pushing buses with Clark Clint inside. They're cutting down trees with a power saw, all the while failing to put fuel and pull that ripcord. The Spirit of God is inside you. And none other than Jesus Christ the Son asked the Father. And I can tell you this. The son's not going to get turned down on this request. First truth you need to be aware of if you're going to live this, not a truth on a piece of paper, not some ethereal thing like algebra or trigonometry that you may use one day, something that is vital. The spirit is a competent substitute for the son. Second and third truth, pick up the pace a little bit. Verse 17, here's the truth. He's Jesus in you. Truth number two, truth number three. He is Jesus in you. Now, how is that two truths? Well, the Holy Spirit is Christ. The Holy Spirit is God. That's truth number two. 
The Holy Spirit is God. So if the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were to stand on the medal ceremony at the Olympics and they were to hand out gold, silver, and bronze, the Father doesn't get gold, the Son doesn't get silver, and the Spirit gets bronze. No, they're all gold. They're all gold. The Spirit has as much God in him as the Son has, and they have as much God in them as the Father has, three in one. Truth number two, this is none other than God. Truth number three, he's in the believer. He's in the believer. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is Christ in the Christian. Now, that should revolutionize us. Maybe over the next six or seven weeks, as we get into the Spirit-filled life, we turn into some Bapticostals. The trouble with a lot of us Baptists is we discover these truths and we react to it like somebody's reading the yellow pages. We see these truths as if someone from Austin's reading the legislative agenda for the Senate and the House down there. When you see our face, there's no excitement as if somebody's reading the yellow pages. The Bible says, then this hopeless time, God is in you. God in the believer. Now hear me carefully. If you're not in Jesus Christ today, there's no promise that the Spirit is in you. The Spirit is not put in every person. When you come out from mama at your default setting, factory settings, you do not have the Spirit in you. You have to come to faith in Christ. You have to be converted. You have to be born again. You say, I don't know about that. Well, talk to somebody here today. You're in a great place. God's got you in a great place so that you'd be born again. Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins. And when you understand that and you bend the knee and bow the head to the Father and the Son and receive Christ, then the Spirit of God is in you. So today I, I, I want to speak to believers because what I see in the time in which I pastor is believers are sort of with their head down. We're too old as a society to remember Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore, but Eeyore was always head down. Head down. Things are bad. Things are terrible. Country's not going the right direction. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket, so to speak. Well, I've come here today as a message from God to tell you and to remind you the Spirit of God is in you. God is in the believer. So don't despair. You're not fighting Satan in this world all by yourself. Don't be despondent. You're not fighting the lust of the flesh. You're not fighting the lion called Satan who's roaring. You're not fighting your temptations as if it's you, yourself, and I. God says the Holy Spirit of God is inside you. There's coming a day when Scott Mays will stand before God the Father, perfect and complete. Not because I'm anything, but because God is inside me. The last enemy will be defeated one day because I've got this guarantee. The Spirit of God is in me. Friend, you're not alone in this life. Your spouse may divorce you. Your parents may turn their back on you. Your boss may fire you. You may not have any sales in this life. You may not have any success whatsoever. But if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ today, I've got good news for you today. The Holy Spirit, none other than God himself, is inside of you. Churches and preachers and politicians, spouses and children and fathers and mothers may have all lied to you. But do not despair. Do not be despondent. Do not be discouraged. COVID may be on the rage. Washington may be a mess. This whole country may be a total mess. But your hope is not in the Constitution. Your hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're not alone if you're a believer. So God knows what he's doing. And he saw these hard times a long, long time ago. And God knows that you cannot live life on your own. So he places him in you. 
I want to stop and think about that for just a second. I want to help all of us think through this strategy for just a second. When God set this situation up in redemption history, when he thought ahead of time and orchestrated all this, he plans well. He did not send his secretary to live inside you. He did not send an ambassador. He didn't send the second cousin to the apostle Peter who knew Paul on the day all this happened. He didn't do any of that. He sent God himself to live inside you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is rich, wonderful news. He didn't delegate it to anybody else. So again, we're not to despair. We're not to be discouraged. We are to know that the Spirit of God himself is dwelling inside you. None other than God can do this job. And so the Spirit, if we were to take advantage of it, like wind through a horn or wind enabling a sailboat, the Holy Spirit enables us to live the spiritual life to make progress. And the Spirit has all the intellect, has all the credentials, has all the emotions, all the resume of Jesus Christ the Son. Verse 17, the Bible says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, in you and me, and I in you. You know, I've been disturbed this week, as many of you have been. We've got a mess on our hands with Afghanistan. When I was a child, I mentioned Vietnam earlier. When all that was happening, I had to be probably much older before I realized pushing helicopters off of aircraft carriers, bringing people out of Saigon. It seemed like it's all over again, is it not? And my heart's in despair. And the news is telling us about the women and children that are put behind, and certainly we need to be thinking about them. It's amazing, is it not, how to teach a man to be a man? We need to be teaching young men how to be men. You don't take care of, you don't take advantage of females, but you take care of them. And we need a revival of manhood in America. We need a revival of manhood around the world. But my thoughts are not just toward the women and the children, the Americans. My thoughts are to those believers behind this new Iron Curtain, this Taliban-run nation. A report from the World Magazine, the World News, you'll see a tweet here, essentially says, Taliban's reported to tell house church leaders, we know where you are and we know what you're doing. Now, I want to just remind you of what the situation would look like both in Afghanistan and Ephesus. Christianity is illegal. You don't put steeples up and you don't put stained glass out to advertise. You keep a quiet profile. And so here in Afghanistan, these house church leaders are in effect sort of like a pastor, if you will. And so the Taliban saying to them, we know who you are and we know where you are. We're coming after you. And we're seeing reports of believers whose daughters are being ripped from their arms and put in that crazy version of Muslim marriage of sex slavery. And our heart breaks for them and we wonder what can we do? There's agencies we can give. We can certainly do that. I did that this week. If you want to do that, you can go to my social media. We can pray for them. That's a big deal. Now, we, we can do more than pray, but we certainly cannot do less than pray. That's an important thing. We can do more than pray, but we cannot do less than pray. Now, what, what would Jesus have to say to a situation like the believers in Afghanistan? And we turn back to verse 18 and 19 because the connection here is powerful. 
Jesus says to those believers, as he does everywhere, I will not leave you as orphans. Mm. Wow. You know, if I'm in a mess and my wife says, I'm not going to leave you, that's good news. If I'm in a mess and my kids say, we're going to stick with you, Dad, that's awesome. If I'm in a mess and you find out I'm in a mess and we go to church together and say, Pastor, I'm with you. Come hell or high water. Man, that's great. All that's wonderful, but I'd rather have the sovereign creator of the universe come and look at me and say, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. That's really good news. In fact, what you need to know about all of John 14, 15, and 16 is this known as the farewell discourse. Now, preachers, we like to make up big names like that because it makes us feel important. It's like a lingo, like a secret handshake. You know what the farewell discourse is? Jesus is saying goodbye. This is Thursday before he's crucified on Good Friday. If I were to tell you that you're going to be capitally punished tomorrow, might you think of something important to say to your closest allies the night before? That's what this is. He's about to be crucified within about 10 hours. And so therefore, Jesus turns to Peter and John and all the 12, and he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will not see me no more, but you will see me because I live with you. And this is powerful. Now, if Jesus can say to the disciples on the eve of the crucifixion, I will not leave you as orphans, and that steadies them. I want to remind you of what happens to 11 of these 12 guys. The only guy that saves his neck at the end is a man named John who's imprisoned on Patmos and writes the book of Revelation. He's got the best outcome. The rest of them are crucified upside down, crucified as an ex, beheaded, tortured, boiled in oil. All that would go on to all these disciples except one. And yet Jesus can say, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. This is how they treated me. This is how they're going to treat you. You think this is vital? If you're behind a curtain and you don't have the military saying to you, we will defend religious freedom, the Spirit of God, Jesus is so confident in the Spirit. He says, I will not leave you. Jesus didn't stick around. He's gone. They crucified him between two thieves. He was resurrected to the God of the Father and ascended within about a month plus. How can he stick around? Is Jesus confused like an old person? Did I take my medicine today? If I can do all this? He's not confused. He can say in the words of John 14, I'm not going to leave you even though he left because he's so confident in the Spirit. You talk about credentials. Like I tell my kids, I'm not leaving you. Got, you got your mom with you. She's better than me. Right? Only this is God telling you that. So this is what we do to encourage. Can we pray for those men and women behind that curtain, behind the Taliban? Absolutely. Can we call upon our politicians to do better, do more? We absolutely should. But God's not turned tail on them and run. If you and I had the privilege of being a fly on the wall of the throne room of heaven, we would be shocked at the love the Father, the Son, the Spirit has for every one of those Afghani believers. We would be, the, 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 the paint would peel off if we could understand the actions of which they're going to rescue them and believe them and love them. And I want to remind you of this. Christ in the Christian is the Holy Spirit. And none other than Jesus Christ the Son Ask God the Father for this privilege for you. 
Hours before, he's got nails in his palms and a spear in his side. He takes time to ask for you, send them the Son, send them the Spirit. Here's the fourth and the last truth. Not only is Jesus Christ the Christian, Jesus in the Christian, the Spirit of God is God. The Spirit is the substitute, but look at this fourth. He enlightens you. The Bible says in John 14, he enlightens you. What do I mean by that? He explains Jesus to you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the paraclete, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Here in conclusion, the last thing I want you to know is the Word of God says the Holy Spirit is a teacher. And there's two halves of this. We'll go by this really fast. Two halves like a good football game. Half number one, the Spirit of God inspires the disciples. Have you ever wondered, if, is your New Testament corrupted? Is there mistakes in this thing? The Bible says that Jesus Christ sends the Spirit to inspire. That is, bring every important memory back to the apostles, back to the disciples, so that you have everything you need to grow as a believer. Every good thing you need is in that book from Genesis to Revelation. There's not one piece that you need to be worried about. Why? Because first half, the Spirit of God is a teacher. He inspires. Second half, for you and I, He illuminates. He illuminates us. We're not an apostle. We're not a disciple. We don't write Scripture. He doesn't reveal stuff to us like He did them, but He opens the book up to us. This book that you have in front of you, this iPad, this iPhone, whatever you're reading Scripture on, this is not an ordinary book. This book has eyes. As you read it, it reads you. It knows what's in your mail. It knows what's in your email. It knows your social security number. It's got all of you. And how does that happen? Because the Spirit of God takes the truth of God and the people of God and marries them together. So what do we do as God's people? We seek the presence of God as we read his book. Friend, this isn't trigonometry. This isn't some remote piece of IRS legislation that they may teach you in a legal class in the MBA. This is none of that. This is life skills. For this life and the next, it's a supernatural book. And the Spirit of God teaches us. He illuminates. The light bulb comes on. Well, I'm going to close with this. All the way back in the beginning, I didn't put this up here, but I want you to see it. Jesus says these words. I'm going to send you another helper to be with you for how long? Forever. Friend, Everybody may desert you one day. You may be alone, but there's one person, one spirit, one being who will never desert you. He will always be, and that is the Holy Spirit of God. Are you in Christ today? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Hey, in the times we're living in, this is serious. There's a lot of things to procrastinate on. This isn't one of them. Today, we want you to know the Lord Jesus. We want you to know there's a heaven that Jesus has prepared for you. So would you just bow your heads quietly? Today I want to just pray. Father in heaven, we pray that the Spirit of God would be in this place today. You'd write the commands of God on our hearts. You'd enable us to do right and good. You'd empower us, Lord. Oh God, there are people who are in this room so afraid 
speak to us. I leave you my peace. You can experience peace because God is on the throne and God is in our heart. Today we pray that there's men and women, boys and girls, who'd receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that your presence in this room would bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to be so real to us. Teach us in a fresh new way, not in a dead way, but in a fresh, powerful, alive, like electricity. Bring the circuit board alive in hearts and minds today, Lord, and teach us again that we're far more messed up than we can imagine, but we're far more loved than we can comprehend. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who died for our sins, Lord. And now I pray that your spirit would enable us to do what you command. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.